Welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I'm Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. Julia, how are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm okay. I'm in the midst of of a COVID scare right now, so that's tough. But um, I had a rapid test yesterday that was negative, and I'm just waiting for my my PCR results. Uh, but other than that, you know, just bracing for this. This gorgeous New York snowstorm we're about to get in the tri-state area. I want to milk this for all it's worth. I want to be like, oh, my power's out. And, you know, I'm just hunkering down with canned food because everyone, a lot of the people I work with are in California. So they don't know. They don't That's know. That's so funny. It's just like snow. How do you deal? You know, I'm just kidding. I'm not really going to do that. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, I mean, I feel like a lot of time with these snowstorms, they really amp them up in advance and they're like... And then it's like two inches. Yeah. It's like I, t- or not even. It's like a faint little sprinkle. So I'm assuming that nothing will change. Yeah. I don't know. I panic went to the grocery store last night anyways. So I'm I'm good. I'm stocked on canned goods and pasta. <laughs> I have a bodega across the street from me, and it's like, I highly doubt that the snowstorm will be so bad that I can't go to this bodega. I went right. to, I lived in Chicago during something that people called the snowpocalypse, and there was like 12 feet of snow in one day, and even then I went outside. So Was that in like 2009? 10, yeah. Uh, it was in 2010 and I had this roommate who was like, he was from Buffalo. He was this guy, just give you a little context of him. He never showered. He, okay. Sick. Love only, him already. He only ate oatmeal. Like that was his favorite food and he ate it like for almost every meal. And he would regularly lay on the sidewalk, like just to relax. I was like, that's weird. Why are you doing that? It's like you're gonna get dirty he's like i'm already dirty why not relax you know so why was, not relax <laughs> yeah so that was his thing and um you oh know my he god he was he was such a strange guy uh and uh he really like wanted to sled uh in the snowpocalypse like on so he like I had this little thing with like a tarp and he was like making little mounds of snow and you know sliding down them and stuff and i i called him yukon cornelius because remember like from rudolph the red-nosed reindeer oh my god yeah claymation thing yeah and then you know the story ends with basically i thought we were flirting the whole time and i was like hey i like you and he's like i don't feel the same way so oh my god wait how <laughs> this is not where i thought the story was going at all yeah you preface so, this with this guy never showers and only eats oatmeal and lies on the sidewalk and you're just like i'm into it yeah oh my well, Kate. i don't understand how this can be surprising to you after annoying I mean, me for several years i i know i look i uh <laughs> 
you know, I'm 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 wrong for have been having been taken on a ride with that story, but I I still oh my god, Kate, that's so funny. I feel like the the relevant detail of that story is not that he that I liked him. It was that it was a painful, unrequited love situation. That's so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah but uh anyways wow you know every new detail i learn about you really puts a piece of the puzzle together (laughs) i like to never know if i'm joking for sure you know (laughs) i like to leave it ambiguous even in the chambers of my heart (laughs) (laughs) but uh anyways okay uh, we do have a great episode for you this week. I talked to Sean KB from the Antifada uh, about Andrew Cuomo. We did a drag his ass Andrew Cuomo. Uh, this was inspired by the recent sexual assault allegations, which I believe. Uh, but you know, there's many things he could be dragged for. And we tried to drag him for as many things as we could possibly fit into 45, 50 minutes. But of course, there's, you know, we could do a drag his ass Andrew Cuomo part two, and maybe we will because he fucking sucks. Um, yeah. And so um, there's, you know, there's that. Uh, listen to that. At the end of the episode, we talk about communism and time abolition. If you're wondering what time abolition is, stay all the way to the end, because uh, Sean is really passionate about this, and we had a fun conversation about that. Um, next week, we're going to do a listener Q&A. Julia, you want to tell our yes. listeners about that? Would love to. So, yeah, we've been doing this show for a while now. We've We've garnered a very special relationship with our listeners and um yeah we we just want to hear from you i tweeted about it and i sent a message out to our patrons um asking for for questions i've already gotten a few so that's great um but if there are any burning questions that you want to ask kate or me um either dm us on twitter or um i think both of us have our emails linked in our Twitter accounts. I'm not sure. I do. Um, but you could yeah. DM. Yeah. And we can keep it anonymous if you want. Just let us know. But um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to answer your questions. Doesn't have to be about politics or anything or organizing or anything like that. You can just ask us whatever the fuck you want. You can ask us, you know, you can say, hey, Kate, I am attracted to a man that eats only oatmeal and lays in the sidewalk how can i get his attention and what i would say to that question is i don't know man i'm as stumped as you oh my god kate i'm i'm still like haunted by that story that happened five seconds ago i truly i i'm 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 happy that you've come you've come a long way i guess If you're gonna if you're gonna like the oatmeal guy, you should you know you you should you should like the oatmeal guy who likes you. I think it's the real have moral some self respect and yes. like the oatmeal guy who doesn't shower who likes you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, we are gonna be taking uh, one week off between 
uh christmas and new year's i you know i'm secular i don't know about julia but we just want a week of not looking at the news but if you want to hear some reply guys during that time we have a whole back catalog of patreon episodes uh mostly interviews that are really fun and a lot of them are about topics that are sort of uh, a little bit outside of the range of things that we normally cover on the show like we have uh an episode about poetry and we have an episode about the west wing and we have uh episodes about sex stuff and you know just kind of like some of our interests outside of politics although we relate a lot of things back to politics because we know that's what you're here for most likely but we have you know a ton of episodes there so almost we we have 27 episodes so if you haven't you know if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon yet, you're you're really missing out on our our premium content. <laughs> yeah, five five dollars a month for all this, you know, for all this, for um, all of it. Yeah, so you know, uh, we're gonna get into the interview here. Uh, please enjoy it. Sean is really fun and really smart. And, and if you can leave us a, a review on oh yeah it really helps because you know the, podcast if yeah uh, if you can it, it it helps people other people find the show and uh, we we also we read all of them so we uh, we love to hear your feedback uh, unless it's about uh, it, unless it's the three guys who keep reviewing us that we have vocal fry. <laughs> Yeah, no, we do get some reviews from sexists, as you can see. But you know what? More than that, sometimes I walk down the street and I feel sad because I'm thinking to myself, you know, no one's this podcast is it's never going to become popular because Julia and I are not doing enough sexism. Do we need to add more sexism to the show yeah. in order to increase our listener base? Or, and the answer- you know, the answer is yes. We do need yeah. to do more sexism. Yeah, but it's that that's true. <laughs> it's highly likely that the the show has reached you know the ceiling of uh, of how far we can go without doing more sexism. But at the same time, it is really warms our heart to know that uh, there are listeners who are picking up what we're putting down. Yeah, I'm sorry, I we love like that. that. Yeah, it feels good. But anyways, uh, we will see you this weekend on Patreon, and we will see you next week with listener Q&A. Thank you so much. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello, and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am so excited this week. We are going to do another Drag His Ass episode for really... The man of 2020. Uh, you you saw him on TV a lot. Um, some people developed a very sick sexual fascination with him, and that is Andrew Cuomo. And to join me in today's drag his ass, I am so excited to be joined by Sean KB from the Antifada podcast. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Antifada. Oh, we have a um, a silly, fun, sometimes smart, we hope, podcast about uh, communist politics, history, uh, culture, and jokes. We try to do jokes sometimes, too. 
Whether we succeed or not, I don't know, but uh, we have a good time with it. We have a podcast every week, and then uh, we just started up our Twitch channel, so you can find us on that as well. That's awesome. And um, listeners may remember we also had Jamie on, who is another co-host of the Antifada, and uh, hopefully we'll have Andy on as well. You guys will have to put in a good word for the reply guys podcast so we can really round out the trio um if you're if you're happy to talk about um post trotskyism and posadism and nukes and dolphins i'm sure that andy would be happy to come on i you know i've always really wanted to incorporate more um aliens into my uh my discourse so i i'd be really into that um he's the king of alien discourse that's for sure yeah uh but you know today Today we're gonna we're gonna stay on this planet for now, specifically even in this state. And Sean, you're from New York, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the Cuomo's have been part of your uh, imagination for a long time, probably. Yeah. Yeah, they've uh, they've dominated the political imagination of this state ever since I was born, uh, way back at the beginning of the 1980s, and I. Some of my earliest memories, uh, political memories anyways, I can recall uh, my two parents who were good New York liberals uh, just being gaga over uh, Mario Matthew Cuomo, the then uh, governor of New York State. And uh, Cuomo, I think for them, the name Cuomo and for people of that generation still means like a good and effective and pragmatic liberal who's like willing to get things done. Uh, and like holds on to a lot of the values that they, the liberals, imagine that the Democrats are supposed to hold. That makes a lot of sense because I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, I, you know, to me, it just seems like why do people keep voting for this guy when he's <laughs> such a failure, you know, in really every way. But uh, I guess if people have such a positive association with the name, in addition to like all of the corporate funding, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, because Mario Cuomo was um, he was a, a figure, an interesting figure, because as as the 1980s went on and as the the Democratic Party was moving farther to the right with Bill Clinton and they were facing all the attacks by Reagan and Reaganism, Mario Cuomo famously at the DNC uh, when Mondale was uh, nominated in uh, 1984 came up and he like made this uh keynote speech that defended all of the uh, all of the principles of like uh new deal great society liberalism in the united states and and like the urban you know like um minority rights and gay rights and union rights he he got up there and he stood up against the kind of tide of neoliberalism as it came in so he's the, in some ways sort of a tragic figure mario cuomo so what what was his actual tenure like as the governor? Well, he was governor. He he ran on uh, very much on a uh, anti death penalty, interestingly, platform. He tried to run it for mayor of New York in 1978, but failed to a guy named Ed Koch, that lovable neoliberal scumbag that we all uh, remember from uh, New York City. But he did become uh, the governor, and uh, again, he did like probably as much as a liberal could do in order to keep New York State like relatively um, progressive at that time. But what I think really the the kind of the the turning point, the touchstone of his life was uh, between '88 and '92 
when so many supporters, Democrats in New York State and beyond, wanted him to throw his hat in the ring to become the Democratic uh, nominee for president. And at this time, the newspapers called him Hamlet on the Hudson because he kept like struggling with himself trying to make this decision. Like, do I want to run for president or don't I? All the progressives were like, you got to run, you got to run. But ultimately, he literally was um, he had his, his plane, I think it was in 92. His like uh, his uh, governor's plane was on the tarmac in Albany and he was ready to fly to New Hampshire to put his hat in the ring. And Mario Cuomo blinked at the last minute. One of his main uh, supporters and campaign people at that time was his son, Andrew Cuomo, who was pushing for his father to run and his father never ran. So you can only imagine how in the minds of Mario and also Andrew Cuomo, how this moment, this possibility, this horizon that was never given to them looms large in their personalities and their psychologies. That makes sense. So you think that like it sounds like a lot of Andrew Cuomo's decision making has been motivated by like the desire to become president. Is that right? Yeah, there's uh, there's just a lot of daddy issues going on there, and like to 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 kind of look at it more in a, in a New York State uh, type lens, um, the way that New York State politics work is is pre- and New York City too, but the state um, it's still very kind of like atavistic in early 20th century in that it's a real machine politics, right? And there's these Democratic clubs, and it's like this close network of these very powerful power brokers who are the ones that really dictate how the politics work in the state. And Andrew and um, Andrew Cuomo grew up in this system and has been able to very effectively, especially since he's become governor, and I know we're going to talk about this, use the sort of back deal, uh, backroom deal, like uh, cigar smoke, smoky room, sort of like power politics in order to ruthlessly, ruthlessly exercise power in Albany, you know, much to the detriment of so many people uh, in the state and in the city. Um, but, uh, you know, he learned that at the side of his father. And for one, you know, another thing, too, like the presidential politics surrounds his uh, Andrew's life. He married a Kennedy. He married the seventh daughter of Robert F. Kennedy. So kind of like all of Andrew Cuomo's like inner drive, I feel like, is like inching towards not only rectifying the history of his father not becoming president, but also building power in this very ruthless way in New York State to give himself a springboard in order to eventually hopefully become that. Man, that is it's so depressing. I I don't know (laughs) if I really I don't you know, I'm a Californian. I am kind of new to the whole New York political machine, really started paying a lot of attention to New York politics just a couple of years ago when I moved here. Uh, But um, I think there's something about the the way that the machine functions that, you know, it's like to some extent, I don't understand how it's like different than like just the kind of typical wheeling and dealing and corruption that, you know, we had in California um, and Mm. exists, you know, at the federal level as well. But, you know, it does kind of it does seem like there's some different elements to it. Is it? Yeah, it's more it's more intensified here, I think, because you have like all of these. uh, The nice thing to call them would be stakeholders or constituents. The other way to look at it would be to say that in New York State, because it's, you know, still a very, especially downstate, very working class upstate, too. And because there's like this very advanced and entrenched political machine, all these different groups that are that claim a a stake to New York politics. And of course, by that, I mean 
you know, women, um, minorities, trade unions, they're all kind of embedded in this democratic power structure and they all have their like boosters, but it's all very corrupt because like the, the, the power will come from below in these social movements that you see. And then like groups like the Working Families Party, not that they don't do some fine things or like La Raza or whatever, or like church groups will take that energy and then kind of siphon it up through these power brokers into Albany, where then that power will be turned into very sort of technocratic wheelie dealy sort of political maneuvers that are ruthless and cutthroat. And um, so much of it's based on like horse trading and also like a general real corruption on the ground, because like it's this very intricate machine, New York politics that uh, requires like a lot of backbiting, but also like, again, like ruthless displays of power behind the scenes. And we only kind of see that like the surface of that, like you wonder why Andrew Cuomo goes so hard against uh, Bill de Blasio on subway stuff, for example. I mean, that could be something as petty as like a personal rivalry between them, which I think it is. But it's also about like arrogating personal power, political power to these different centers within the state politics. That's like this. Yeah, it's a machine. It's like this ruthless paternalistic machine that kind of sucks up all the political energy, takes it up to Albany. And then we can only see like the dim lights of, of what's actually happening. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't really understood the beef between Cuomo and de Blasio because they do seem like in, in terms of like political positions. I mean, they're definitely both neolibs. I've always assumed that it was kind of about uh, de Blasio's big dick energy, even though I hate the man. I think <laughs> he's six foot seven. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just always assume that that, you know, the Cuomo was a little bit upset about that. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um I just and Cuomo's also like he talk about arrogation of power. Like he grew up in this system. He knows how to wield power in this system. This shit. Yeah, we were talking about before the show about like the independent Democrats caucus and creating like a fake women's party and all this backbiting. Like that is the pure expression of power politics in New York State, and nobody is better than that at that than Cuomo. You know, and the Cuomos. Before we get uh, too much further into to Andrew Cuomo, I, I want to let uh, Cuomo describe himself in his own words for a minute. So I'm going to play a, a brief little clip for you and for our listeners. Here we go. As a New Yorker, I am a Muslim. As a New Yorker, I am Jewish. As a New Yorker, I am black. I am gay. I am disabled. I am a woman seeking to control her health and her choices. Because as a New Yorker, we are one community. I just love that. I love as that. As a New Yorker. That's going to be my new Twitter handle, as a New Yorker. As a New Yorker, I am gay. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, the, the, like the, the low-hanging fruit of the funniness on that is definitely, as a New Yorker, I am gay. But I... <laughs> but... M- but I, what I really think is funny is I am a woman seeking to control her body because it just. <laughs> Especially with that Andrew Cuomo yeah, voice. You I, know, love it. I, I, I know that it's about abortion, but it really sounds like it's about incontinence, you know. <laughs> and it also it's a little cringe in light of the sexual harassment allegations that have come up this week. Yeah, definitely. Which we will get into later. So, um, OK, just just want to go through Cuomo's background a little bit. Obviously, uh, we'll mostly focus uh, on his uh, career in New York, but um, 
you know, he's also uh, he was the director of housing and urban development under Bill Clinton. Um, some people really uh, blame him for uh, having a big role in the subprime mortgage crisis. So uh, what he did there was he pushed uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who are uh, the uh, secondary uh, mortgage market banks. Um, so they insured and bought mortgages. Not They didn't lend directly to consumers. But so uh, he pushed those banks to be willing to buy subprime loans from, uh, you know, consumer facing banks. Um, and he did it saying that he wanted, you know, more opportunities for uh, working class people and people of color to own homes. But like, it's such a neolib solution to be like the only way that, you know, that's possible to accomplish is uh, predatory loans. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And also, uh <laughs> He uh, he could have also tackled um, one of the mortgage industry's most abusive practices, which is uh, something called yield spread premiums. Uh, so banks paid lucrative bounties to mortgage brokers who found new clients. And that basically it provided a, a lot of incentive for mortgage brokers to loan lots of money to anyone and everyone, whether they could pay it back or not, no matter what the interest rate. Uh, and, you know, I think that he's able to kind of pass this off as well-intentioned, but uh, it's, you know, in some ways it's pretty easy to see how uh, this was uh, a method of providing political cover to giving a lot of money to banks, basically. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was his career in HUD. He was also the attorney general of New York. Uh, he was a Hillary Clinton surrogate during her mm-hmm. um, during her primary against Obama. Uh, Cuomo said uh, of Obama, uh, you can't shuck and jive at a press conference. <laughs> yep. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I am a New Yorker. I am black. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So he got some flack for that. Um, and then he became governor, which kind of leads us to, to most of the things that we we're talking about. One of the things that Cuomo is most known for uh, is being heavily involved in setting up the IDC. Um, so, Sean, mm. can you tell us a little bit about the IDC? Sure, sure. Um, Andrew Cuomo, you know, I talked about the influence of like uh, progressive groups on Albany politics, but as we can imagine, uh, the <laughs> the main constituency up in Albany for the governor and for the assembly and for the Senate is, of course, capital, uh, mostly big capital, but some small capital, too. So um, Andrew Cuomo uh, was in danger when he became governor of having a very, very unfortunate thing happen which is that there would be uh, Democrat control of the assembly, in which case, you know, all of his sort of neoliberal hedging and all of his uh, the, the, the shit that you see the Democrats doing right now, where they say, oh, nothing can be done. Like even when Obama was president, and had both houses like, oh, we can't pass card check or whatever. Like, it's just impossible. He was facing a Democrat controlled legislature, which would have put 
like his ability to thread the needle between right and left and stay in the vital center on the line because he talks such a good game about progressivism, but he honestly doesn't want to pass anything that upsets capital. He doesn't want to upset any, he was, doesn't want to do anything that will accept, uh, that will change the balance of power such as it exists in New York City or in New York State between labor and capital. And he certainly doesn't want to end up in a position where he has to take a stance uh, and actually sign a bill that's so progressive that he wouldn't able to become president one day because he could be lib baited for it, right? So Cuomo helps to create behind the scenes, this only came out a few years ago, something called the Independent Democrat Caucus, which was, a I think it was like three or four or five or six um, members of the legislature who like were this became the swing vote and made it so that Democrats could not pass the legislation that they want. They were like a centrist kind of spoiler sitting right in the center. And as it turns out, Cuomo was using that in order to make excuses for why he couldn't get more of the progressive things that he said he wanted and that progressive activists wanted. Uh, he couldn't get them done. Yeah, basically. So New York state uh, is two thirds uh, Democratic voters, one third Republican voters and uh, Democrats officially won the state Senate in 2012. Republicans won the majority back in 2014, but then they also uh, won. Democrats also won the majority in 2016. And basically what the IDC did, it was between six and eight members and it prevented the Democrats from having control of the state Senate. And these people in the IDC uh, basically struck a deal for committee chair positions and increased power with the Republican Party. And, you know, Cuomo denied, denied, denied that he had anything to do with this. But he definitely did. Politico confirmed this in 2014. They talked to uh, several sources. And also, I think, like, one of the ways to know that he was for sure involved in this is he, Cuomo finally... uh, under pressure from the working party's family that they were going to endorse Zephyr Teach out in uh, in 2014. Was it 2014? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. It was 2018. In 2018. Yeah. They were going to endorse his opponent, which must have been Nixon at that point. But basically Cuomo Mm -hmm. under pressure from the working family's party, you know, held a meeting with the IDC and they, he told them that they had to disband and then they did, you know, which right. kind of <laughs> begs the question, why couldn't he have done that a lot earlier? Because he, he didn't he want to. He clearly had the power the whole time and <laughs> yeah. he didn't want to, right? Yeah. It was very useful for him, again, as a ruthless political operator to have a controlled opposition out there so that he could claim that he would want to do so many progressive things and uh, that he was unable to because of this, you know, stingy IDC that sat there. Yeah. And the entire time he could have got rid of them and uh, done like stuff that his progressive activist base, you know, have been calling for in New York State for so long. Yeah. And, you know, there were real there. I mean, there were during the time that um you know, Democrats, there were officially there was officially Democratic control of the state Senate. Um, you know, the IDC prevented the Senate from addressing legislation that would have uh, potentially passed a single payer health care, marijuana legalization, uh, a dream act for New York, um, a, a better abortion bill. So, you know, and, you know, not to mention uh, one of the big motivators uh, for having the IDC was the real estate industry in New York, which Mm -hmm. is like a huge, huge thing and is a big contributor to Cuomo. And, you know, basically this prevented uh, tenants protections from 
coming to vote. And one of the things that's been cool about evicting <laughs> the IDC from the state Senate uh, has been that actually there have been some wins for tenants uh, from since 2018. Nothing like what we would want, but they were. The, no, it's been the, something. Yeah. The IDC was definitely uh, holding things back. So, yeah, Cuomo fucking sucks and um and you but you see how like like the whole thing doesn't make any sense if you listen to even the rhetoric from that clip that we heard before unless you um realize that a he is only he's really interested in national politics right he's he's interested in not being seen as too far left in order to get elected on the national scene but also if he doesn't believe in anything and he is merely just like this ruthless machine politician who is behind the scenes and like arrogating uh, power to himself in order to aggrandize himself which i think that that particular event shows perfectly yeah this isn't the worst thing he's done, but here's the funniest thing that he's okay. done. Uh, this is from the New York Times. Uh, during the 2014 election, Mr. Cuomo drove around the state in a bus called the Women's Equality Express, <laughs> which had a pink stripe adorning its side. Some found the entire enterprise craven and patronizing, an obvious effort to peel off votes from the WFP, which had been fighting for paid sick leave and other causes vital to women's lives for many years. Others found it duplicitous, given the rampant culture of sexual harassment cough cough by Andrew Cuomo that had been permitted right. to fester for so long in the state capitol. When it was founded, the WEP, the Women's Equality Party, was financed largely through a loan from Mr. Cuomo's 2014 campaign. A second, oh, interesting. A second loan from his current campaign came out several months ago, according to Rachel Gold, the state's former deputy commissioner of labor and the party's treasurer. Uh, we don't have the bandwidth to do fundraising, she said. We don't really have a website or a coffee mug so basically what cuomo did here is he started a fake third party to siphon off votes from the working families party or potentially the green party uh called the women's equality party that was all like pink and you know talking about abortion and stuff uh Mm. and yeah it was just it was entirely funded by uh andrew cuomo (laughs) yeah yeah Yo, it's crazy because people might not know about New York State. Um, it's, it goes back to the 20th century. We have something called the fusion uh, voting system where like, if you run for mayor or you run for governor, you can run either as like a Democrat or a working families candidate or as a Republican or a conservative candidate. And it's basically like we have all these little kind of rump parties and each of them, especially, like the working families party is a perfect example because... Um, Cuomo was trying to build his own kind of astroturfed party for his own like political prerogatives. But the Working Families Party, say what you want about it, and there's a ton you can critique about it, but it is literally like the political arm of the trade unions in New York City and in New York State. And they've kind of, over the decades, you know, created this sort of like, you know, mouthpiece for themselves in a way to exercise power, uh, usually to help out Democrats. But Cuomo just thought like, oh, well, the unions have that. Why don't I just make up an entire women's equality party? We'll put a, a pink stripe on it. We'll we'll jump in a bus and uh, and we'll go with it. And uh, that's only like the most visibly craven thing I think that uh, that that we can see. It is pretty funny though. You have to admit. Oh, uh, what a girls like uh, pink. Yeah, <laughs> girls like uh, pink. 
<laughs> My daughter that loves is, pink. <laughs> yeah. That is Andrew Cuomo feminism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we got to have equality for the broads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the dames are seeking to control their own bodies. So. <laughs> I am a dame. I am a broad. <laughs> I am a gun mall. I am a floozy. <laughs> I am a tot. I am a hooker. (laughs) (laughs) We need a soundboard, like an Andrew Cuomo soundboard to do some E-Bounds world shit. Yeah, just every once in a while, just Andrew Cuomo. I am gay. (laughs) As a New Yorker, I am gay. (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't get dragged more for that when it happened. I guess we we did a good job, but it's a good thing that Reply Guys is uh, bringing back the dragging of Cuomo. I think it's uh, it's time to bring that back for 2021. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I living in New York for a few years, I everyone I know thinks that Cuomo fucking sucks and, you know, I it was it was wild to me to see people become so into him during the pandemic uh in march i mean we're still in the pandemic but you know people were saying that they were cuomo sexual because you know he was (laughs) he you know he was trump was the bad daddy and cuomo was like the the good pandemic daddy people were calling him pandemic daddy and that was so disgusting i was that's disgusting i was relieved when everyone moved on to wanting to fuck um steve kornacki that uh msnbc (laughs) data guy you know the Cuomo sexual might be the most cursed thing of all the cursed things that 2020 gave it, us. It's so gross. So let, let's talk for a minute about what what Cuomo actually did uh, to respond to the pandemic. Um, mm. So one of the first things he did uh, was use the pandemic as cover to roll back last year's bail reform laws. Uh, he... Uh, had New York State start making its own hand sanitizer. Remember when the uh, hand sanitizer was running low? Well, Andrew Cuomo thought of a solution for that, which is forcing prisoners to make hand sanitizer uh, for $2 an hour. Slave slave labor, (laughs) yes. Uh, he, He refused to let elderly and sick inmates out of uh out of jails uh, like rikers which is notorious for being especially horrible at the time that that the the article was uh published about the hand sanitizer in prison dozens of people had already had covid in that Mm. prison but i would imagine it's it's much much more now um and then you know he's he's used covid to uh, push uh, for the austerity politics that he loves so much, has always mm-hmm. loved, um, you know, deep Medicaid cuts in the middle of a pandemic when people need health care. I mean, people always need health care, but more than ever, um, he cut the budget for schools. Uh, guess how much he cut the budget for schools by? It's got to be in the billions. I don't know. What is it? Not quite in the billions, but it is uh, $716.9 million. All right. Get- That's a lot. That's a lot of teachers. That's a lot of supplies. Well, it, luckily, New York got some federal aid as well. Guess how much the federal aid was that New York schools got? 
Uh, 700 and something million. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. <laughs> okay, I it's the it. same exact number. Uh, so what Cuomo wanted to be able to say is that schools had the same level of funding that they had mm. in the previous year. Uh, <laughs> but pretty smart, pretty smart. I yeah. Say. So the, the federal aid obviously was, you know, supposed to be for, uh, you know, PPE for, um, just, materials for online education uh you know there's been schools particularly in lower income areas of new york state as well as new york city you have are really struggling and you have been promised additional funding for years and you know like they weren't the budget level before 2020 was not good but uh he you know cuomo basically used this as an excuse to make sure that no no kids or teachers um get anything more uh and he's refused also to raise taxes on the rich here's a quote from him i literally Mm. talk to people all day long who are in their hamptons house who also live here or in their hudson valley house or in their connecticut Mm. weekend house uh and basically you know saying that these billionaires and multimillionaires would not uh, continue to live in New York if there's higher mm. taxes on the wealthy. And it's like, fuck you, Cuomo. Why are you talking to people all day who are <laughs> staying in the Hamptons? <laughs> Do your well, job, you know, man. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're smart enough to know that that's his real constituency, right? And if you, if you think about like what happened with, with the school system since COVID, you know, I think you get, you, you can start to see, uh, let's, let's put it this way. If you go back to 2011, and I remember this because I was a state employee at this time. I was actually in a union at the time that was negotiating with uh, Andrew Cuomo. Some of the most ruthless austerity for uh, state sector unions uh, were pushed by Andrew Cuomo. And if he had his way, uh, he would have, in the in the COVID crisis, he would have forced teachers back to work with uh with none of the protection that they needed i think that because unions are so central to the politics of this state andrew cuomo is forced to deal with them on some level but if he were released from the conditions of new york state where unions are so strong i think he would be fundamentally anti-union because in this sort of neoliberal ruthless ideology that he has they're merely like another constituency that he has to roll over in order to do andrew cuomo yeah, we had an interesting episode with Annie Tan, who is uh, a teacher and a member of the teachers union in New York. And that was a big battle, even between the union membership and the union leadership. Um, a lot of a lot of teachers, understandably, did not want to go back and teach in person. And uh, the I don't I'm not sure how much Cuomo was involved, but de Blasio was definitely involved in brokering a deal with the unions that the teachers had to come. At least some teachers had to come teach in person. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a big mess. But, you know, um, but Cuomo sees like teachers who don't want to die from COVID. He sees like New Yorkers who um, want to have a subway to ride. He sees like um, all of the people who are like suffering from like legitimately high property taxes but uh aren't getting really any services he sees poor people in general he sees people on the housing projects he sees them as like little insects to be crushed you know and the people in the hamptons the people in the hudson valley he was talking about the people in connecticut with the weekend homes i mean that's his real constituency except you know ultimately i think that he's ruthless enough that he would um 
he would be willing to make deals that would raise taxes for them if, again, it helped him to arrogate more power to himself. Yeah, I mean, his campaign uh, has received so much money from Wall Street, his campaigns, I should say, because there have been multiple, uh, more than $10 million from the securities industry. Um, he has, you know, strongly opposed wealth taxes of all kinds that have been put forward and, you know, even things that had kind of broad popular support, um, you know, a, a bill that would have imposed a, a state-based surcharge that would equalize taxation between capital gains and labor, uh, legislation to revive New York stock transfer tax. Um, he has, he's opposed all of this, even like, you know, pretty, pretty basic stuff that would offset some of the money that the city and state has lost during the pandemic. Right. He's been against anything uh, except for so taking really, money away. Right. He's really like with his austerity drive and uh, with how little he cares about uh, people. He, you know, national news said that he was like the best person to deal with the COVID crisis. He was doing everything that Trump refused to do in terms of lockdowns or whatever. But it's possible that he's maybe one of the worst people because he uses it for this austerity drive that, um, you know, he can use this sort of disaster capitalist, uh, you know, mindset around in order to, like, undermine any gains that people have made and uh, cut budgets in such a way that don't harm his friends. Yeah, I was thinking about that before the show. I was thinking about how, you know, New York is a very blue state. California is a very blue state. Massachusetts. And these states have some of the most extreme income inequality in the entire country. And, and you know, still, there's tons of people who don't have health care. The schools are in a really terrible situation, underfunded. And, you know, like, there's no easier argument uh, to disprove people who are like saying, yeah, you know, just vote for Democrats. That's what will fix things like, OK, right. we have Democratic control in all of these states. And it looks pretty similar to Republican states. You know, neoliberalism right. is not, you know, it's. It's not as bad as like whatever, you know, kind of Christian fundamentalism with the government that, you know, in, in some of the, these like heavily red states. But it, I mean, it's still austerity. It's still go yeah. people going without their basic needs being met. So it's still completely insufficient in a country where you have uh, 30 million people around Christmas who are facing eviction uh, with no stimulus on the way. And no real hope that anybody, local, state, or uh, federal government officials are going to come and help them. And Cuomo is part of that. You know, he might have talked a good game on news when he was on there, like kind of counter-programming Trump every night about the importance of the COVID epidemic. But I'm sorry, like, believing that COVID is real is like the bare minimum that a politician can do, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And to your point... You know, the, New York has a strong tenants movement and there have been repeated calls for rent cancellation and eviction protection. Um, and Cuomo has provided some assistance to landlords, uh, but nothing mm. for tenants. There has been no mm -hmm. protections for tenants in New York, except for uh, that you wouldn't be there, there was a certain amount of like protection that you, you couldn't be evicted during a specific time frame but then you'd still have to pay all of your back rent when that time frame was up which it's like if you don't have a job where are you going to come up with you know 
three, four times if, your rent. I mean, like when you mentioned real estate, like this is the kind of open secret about New York is uh, the extent to which real estate developers and landlords and, uh, you know, big finance really control the state. And if people are interested in, in hearing more about that, there's a great book, maybe one of my favorite books by a Marxist named uh, Bob Fitch, R.I.P., called The Assassination of New York, which is all about how New York City turned from like a working class industrial town into like a real estate development haven with the help of the the city and, and state government and how that wasn't necessarily an organic process about how people like the Cuomos and Ed Koch and Pataki kind of came together in order to make the city this unequal, um, this flashy but unequal uh, metropolis that it is today. And Cuomo, like, he inherited a lot of that, right? But uh, they're perfectly happy to have this city be the one of the most unequal places in the entire country because, again, their friends in the Hamptons or in their weekend, you know, Connecticut homes are, are perfectly happy with it. What what strategies have they used to help the real estate industry? Oh, I mean, every time you hear about a corruption scandal in New York State, it always involves some developer doing like free work on an apartment or a house of uh, of like an assembly person or a senator or and Cuomo with the Moreland committee was almost uh, caught doing corruption. But uh, the real like the. The demands of real estate are always the first on the mind of a, of a New York politician that and uh, like subsidies uh, for real estate. And also, if you're upstate subsidies or like demands for uh, new prisons to open up, because that's a big part of the the um, the economy up there. Like basically, um, like the entire boom in New York City has been around maintaining finance as the center of capital accumulation, but also on turning it into the gentrified shopping mall that it is today, uh, certainly Manhattan. And uh, the politicians were lockstep every single step of the way in order to help New York City become this finance, insurance and real estate driven monstrosity that it is today. And developers have them in their back pockets. It's so infuriating, especially because there have been a couple really good challengers to Cuomo. Um, I'm a big fan of Zephyr Teachout and Cynthia Nixon. I was skeptical at first, but she wanted to do some really good things. Um, And, you know, I think like it's I mean, Cuomo still got like 60 percent of the vote in each of those primaries. Um, And he's part of the machine and she isn't. Yeah. And then real estate's part of that machine, too. That's how all the money gets filtered around is through the machine. So it's very, very difficult, maybe impossible for somebody at the state level to break through that. You see, like, with the recent wins in the city council and uh, in the state assembly uh, and certainly with AOC in Queens and the Bronx, that, like, you can break the machine on, like, this molecular level if you run, you know, a decent campaign and you actually, like try to pitch something to voters besides like the you know the status quo you can win but by the time you get to albany that power there's so much power there that i I can't really imagine that you can break through it yeah and you know even at the molecular level that it is possible to break through cuomo has done all he can to prevent that uh i'm thinking most recently of um Tiffany Caban's race. Uh, oh, yeah. She, yeah, she was, uh, listeners may remember or have been volunteering, working with Tiffany Caban's campaign. Uh, and 
there were basically uh new york had already passed a law that uh would allow more ballots to be counted, even if they had small mistakes on them. And Cuomo wanted to er, and successfully prevented that law from being enacted in time to help uh, Tiffany Caban. Um, basically, he purposefully delayed it so that mm-hmm. her opponent could win. And it was really close. It came down to like a couple hundred ballots um so yeah he put his he put his thumb on the scale there as he does all the time because again she's not part of the machine he's part of the machine i i have to say so i don't particularly understand too much about the working families party um i voted for uh i voted on the working family party's line uh because cuomo seemed to desperately want to kick them off the ballot and i'm like (laughs) okay well if he is trying to do this then you know might as well uh might might as well give them my vote if that helps them stay on but why is he trying to do that well because again like the working families party represents a relatively independent branch of the democratic party you know they're a separate party but they represent like progressive interests but mostly the trade unions and cuomo's had a hard-on for trying to you know uh impose austerity onto the onto the state and municipal uh trade unions for a long time not just through budget cuts but through like negotiation for raises or lack thereof or whatever so the working family party stood in his way of uh, that austerity. So he had to smash them down. And the working families party is very complicated, just like the, uh, just like uh, trade unionism is very complicated in a place where it's so integrated into the political structure like New York. But the working families party, people see it and they they think good. You know, I, I like working families. I mean, for example, when in the year two thousand, if we go all the way back to the year two thousand, the first time I've ever voted in my life. I can remember that uh, I went in and I voted for a certain um, Hillary Clinton for senator of New York State under the Working Families Party um, label. So, uh, you know, just because you see working families doesn't mean that they are uh, particularly, you know, that that, that they're separate from the Democratic Party, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's I I mean, I think on most of the most of the ballot it was this they've endorsed some good candidates like i think that they endorsed most of the dsa candidates in the primary mm-hmm. maybe not all but most but a, a lot of the time it was just like literally the same person who was on the democratic line yeah i mean their limitations are the same limitations of any sort of electoral politics in new york state or beyond right there's only so much that uh you can hope to vote for if you want progressive things in this country and certainly working families party are like as good at that as you know any other group is so i want to make sure that we get to uh the most recent thing that andrew cuomo deserves to be dragged for and this mm. just came out a couple days ago Lindsay boylan who's been on the show she was running for jerry nadler's seat um in the house uh she tweeted that I'll, I'll read her tweet exactly. Yes, uh, at NY, Governor Cuomo sexually harassed me for years. Many saw it and watched. I could never anticipate what to expect. Would I be grilled on my work, which was very good, or harassed about my looks? Or would it be both in the same conversation? This is the way it was for years. Not knowing what to expect 
what's not knowing what to expect what's the most upsetting part aside from knowing that no one would do a damn thing even when they saw it no one and i know i am not the only woman i am angry to be put in this situation at all that because i'm a woman i can work hard my whole life to better myself and help others yet still fall victim as countless women over generations have mostly silently i hate that some men like governor cuomo abuse their power so I definitely believe I believe her. I mean, I yeah. think. Yeah. And apparently he uh, has released private personnel documents uh, uh, from Lindsey Boylan um, in retaliation. Um, so, you know, he he definitely hasn't apologized, owned up to it. Um, well, if maybe that maybe if the Women's Equality Party had won, you know, now let's not go down that route. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the 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 um, the Tara Reid scandal with Joe Biden. You know, somehow, you know, Me Too was a thing a few years ago, but somehow these powerful men in the Democratic Party are immune. And if you try to like say something online about how maybe they should live by the same standards and we should hold them to the same standards that we should believe women, just like we do with Trump or Kavanaugh or whatever, of course the hypocrisy jumps right out. And I don't think that anybody's surprised at that by now but um all this rhetoric you know i am a woman trying to protect her whatever it was she you said to before. control is her body <laughs> yes thank you all rhetoric of course all rhetoric of course you can't trust these people you know you can trust them about as far as you can throw them yeah i mean i was really really disheartened by the way that tara reed was treated i mean like you know immediately after she spoke out about Joe Biden, you know, the media proceeded to uh, investigate her like she was a criminal, like, oh, look, she didn't pay her rent way back when. And, you know, like it it was criminal. Yeah. Um, And, you know, she was harassed, death threats, um, you know, just really, really, really terrible treatment. And, you know, I'm sure that she was offered help by the Trump campaign, but she didn't want to work with the Trump campaign because she wasn't trying to get Trump elected. She just wanted right. to be honest about what happened with you know Joe Biden uh, and see a powerful man be held accountable. And, you know, I, I don't think that, I mean... It's just it was really disappointing, disappointing to see how she was treated by, uh, you know, kind of rank and file Democrats. And same thing with Lindsey Boylan. I mean, like the the resistance crowd is, you know, really just like, how dare you come for one of ours? And, it's right. you know, I, I think it's kind of made a mockery of me, too. It's like, you know, it's just it kind of exposed it as a political weapon rather than people taking sexual assault seriously, which is something that I think should happen you know yeah of course i do too i mean i think that the the cuomo story and we started this with me talking about how my parents who were like you know the kind of liberals who ended up getting mugged by bill clinton in the 1990s and turning into neolibs themselves really respected mario cuomo cuomo when he represented something about what the democrats were and i think that that sort of um that aura has been passed on to andrew cuomo as well Um, I think that so much of the problem of this country is that um, politics has been completely subsumed by like party chauvinism, like the Democrats or the Republicans or Trump or Cuomo or whatever become these sort of avatars that people have of like the world that they imagine or the team that they're on, you know, and so so much thing, so many things, like especially when it comes down to like pointing fingers when one of these powerful men God forbid, like is able to sexually assault or sexually harass somebody, 
the 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 wagon circle, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, because being a Democrat is like part of your identity, and they are the good guys. And so, God forbid, you attack one of the good guys because Andrew Cuomo, this, that, and the other. And there's no amount of evidence that you can bring to bear on that or any charges of hypocrisy that you can bring to bear on that in American politics that are going to get resistance libs to admit that the problem isn't simply with Republicans. The problem is how things are set up. And the problem is actually with the parties themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think we're, we're going to leave it here more or less with Andrew Cuomo. But, you know, there's a, a few important things that we didn't really talk about. I mean, Cuomo has continually come under fire from disability rights activists for making really important cuts to programs and services that have a dramatic impact on people's lives. Uh, Cuomo is... Uh, outspokenly anti-BDS. Um, mm-hmm. He has been the the at the center of uh, numerous corruption scandals, um, he, appointee donations controversy, the Moreland Commission, as you mentioned. He so, shut down the, the commission that was about to get to his corruption. He just straight up said, he said, oh, we'll let them go wherever like the evidence points. And as soon as the evidence started pointing towards him, he just shut it down. Incredible yeah. shit. He got away with it, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all while, you know, shitting on Donald Trump for being, you know. Pretty much right. the same kind of guy, which, I mean, Trump sucks, but so does he. Before we let you go, uh, I, I do have one more unrelated Cuomo question, but, you know, I couldn't have you uh, on my podcast without getting to talk to you for a minute about uh, your communism and how it relates to the <laughs> abolition of time. Uh, <laughs> so, so. Thank God we finally got there. Yeah. So could, could we have could we have a brief pitch before I let you go? Uh, you want a pitch on time abolition? Yes, exactly. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, I'm so happy to do that. Um, it fits in well with the rest of the discussion. Uh, let's see. Where do we start? Uh, under um, every other mode of production in human history, time has been cyclical, right? It's only under capitalism that time becomes linear, that uh, time becomes quantifiable, that time itself becomes something that could be bought or sold, i.e. time is money. It's only only under capitalism that we're not just alienated from the means of production, but we're alienated through time itself. Therefore, for that reason, if humanity is going to prosper, if we're going to go forward into a post-capitalist future, we need to abolish time, not time as we experience it. Actually, yes, time as an experience. Time as capitalist time needs to be abolished uh, we need socially necessary leisure time to dominate the future mode of production called communism. And the closer we can get to abolishing time, the better off we'll be. COVID, with the fact that we don't know what day it is, we don't know what night it is, we just like float through in a haze and time means nothing anymore, is pseudo-abolition of time. You cannot have the abolition of time without the abolition of class society. That is where I stand and I refuse, refuse anybody who wants to um, talk shit on time abolition. I, I, I also recommend thinking about time abolition with a lot of psychedelics in your system. That's a, a good experience. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you and I have gotten as close as anybody with our friends to time abolition, I think, uh, in the last year or two. Then, uh, well, I don't want to I don't want to throw any of us under the bus. But yes, I agree. Psychedelics are a good part of it. <laughs> um, all right, Sean. Well, so where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about communism, time abolition, history? <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. Um, you can go to any of your um, app providers, uh, your podcast providers, rather, and you can type in the Antifada, and the three of us do a whole variety of different kinds of shows. Find the one about time abolition. We had one recently, and I think you might enjoy how wacky and fun the idea is. And then, of course, too, as I said before, you can go to twitch.tv slash the Antifada, and we're streaming like four or five times a week now. Lastly, you can follow me at as a worker, as underscore a underscore worker on twitter.com, where I'm constantly talking shit and calling for the abolition of time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, as a worker, makes me laugh so hard. I know. It's, so it's funny. a great joke. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. As and a some worker. Take it, <laughs> yeah. It's a worker. Yeah. Some people, the people that don't have an advanced sense of irony think it's serious and it gets them so mad, which is kind of why I started it. To <laughs> as a worker. Yeah, I love it. All right, Sean, thank you so much for coming on Reply, guys. Uh, please follow Sean and check out all of his podcasts. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. Your this land. land.